I'm Ben Davies, and this is The Clear Money Mindset. The biggest mistake I run into is people who try to handle the estate themselves without legal advice or accounting advice, and then they ended up making some very large mistakes, and there are very big mistakes that can be made. Welcome to The Clear Money Mindset, providing you with help and tips to manage your money in a clear and intentional way. I'm your host and financial advisor, Ben Davies. At Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals, we wanna provide you with meaningful tips to help you with your money. If you've been asked to be an executor for a loved one, this podcast is a must listen. Losing a loved one is incredibly difficult and knowing what to do from a legal and accounting perspective after someone passes away can be overwhelming. We wanted to help with that by chatting with an accountant and a lawyer to discuss what to do when a loved one passes away This podcast will be a great resource for anyone tasked with being an executor. Losing a loved one is hard. On top of the emotional stress of this, you also have the stress of having to manage that person's affairs once they're gone. We wanted to sit down with an accountant and lawyer to discuss what has to take place when a loved one passes away from a legal and accounting perspective and hopefully give you, especially if you're walking through this right now, some clarity on the basic things you need to take care of. Uh, God forbid a loved one passes away. Today on the podcast, we have Josie Hope, a charter professional accountant with LJ Business Solutions, and Ashley Harmon, a lawyer and partner with Hogarth, Hermston, and Severs. They'll be joining us today to help us walk through all of this stuff at a high level. Well, Ashley, Josie, Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks Thanks for for having having us. You're welcome. First question, uh, Ashley first and then uh, Josie chime in on this. What are some things, a loved one passes away, what are some things I have to take care of right away from a legal and accounting perspective? Things I got to be worried about like today. Uh, From a legal perspective, the executor uh, in the person's will is who makes funeral decisions. So I would say that you need to at least know who the executor is so that person can make the funeral arrangements. And if there's any sort of disagreement about what arrangements are going to be made so that that person knows uh, that they have the final say. Um, But often in, in your average estate, in terms of how to administer the estate, it can usually wait a, a week or two to get started on that. So you have a chance to deal with the funeral and deal with the shock of it. Yep. Um, you know, sometimes there are rare situations where somebody's assets require immediate attention. And as the executor, it's your job to make sure that those assets are are taken care of and that they don't waste away. Um, so you may have to take action sooner rather than later, but in your average estate, you've got a week or two to get your bearings and essentially, uh, deal with the funeral and make your appointment with the lawyer to go over next steps once the funeral is taken care of. Sure. And that's important. We've, we were talking before we started recording on how we've, we've had a few clients walk through this and oftentimes you get a call the day of, or the day after, what do we need to do right now? And We've said to them, well, you know, get through the funeral. Um, you don't have to make a thousand decisions today that you're not even, you're not probably not even going to remember two weeks from now when you have to actually uh, make those decisions again or walk through them again. 
Josie, what about from an accounting perspective? What are some of the things that need to be um, top of mind when this happens? So the most important thing I think as Ashley mentioned, is the funeral. And if you're dealing with an individual that has a business, you want to make sure you have some continuity to make sure that that business keeps running. Once those things are taken care of, there's three people you'd want to notify, or three organizations, I guess. Uh, first okay. would be the banks. You want to find out where the individual has accounts and notify them of the death. Um, CRA, they always want to know the deceased date of death. They're going to need a copy of the will and who the executor is. So okay. that's another um, individ, uh, another group to take care of. And then finally would be Service Canada to notify them to stop payments for things like CPP and disability and OAS or EI. Yeah, I would think Service Canada is one of those things nobody would really think of. You think of CRA, but you don't mm -hmm. often think of calling Service Canada in that event. Um, this will kind of bleed into our next question, but you said plan the funeral first. So... I don't want to act as if the funeral home's going to offer to do things they could or couldn't do. Um, or that, maybe I'll phrase it this way, they're going to offer to do things that someone else could do. But are are there any guidelines there on, on stuff? Like when somebody walks into a funeral home, they may offer to take care of X, Y, Z from an, maybe some accounting stuff, maybe some legal stuff or some basic things. Does that ever happen? Are there things you should avoid there or... It's pretty much the things the funeral home takes care of by default, good things for them to do by default. They do take care of things like making, notifying CRE for your Service Canada in some cases. Um, what I always suggest to my clients is hopefully the individuals pre-planned their funeral and you know this information in advance. And if you don't, when you walk into a funeral home, treat it like a business transaction and ask for a price list. And if yeah. that price of these services does not fit your budget, then talk to your accountant or your lawyer and then make your decision of who, which of these groups of people you want to handle those affairs. Or maybe somebody might want to do it themselves if they're capable of completing these things on their own. Okay. So at what point then, um, Ashley kind of alluded to this, but at what point does someone sit down with their lawyer to review the will and, and kind of what happens at that appointment? Yeah, we usually get a call because we have storage of thousands of wills that um, clients have done with us over the years. And hopefully, if the person has passed away, they've left a copy of their will or at least told right. someone who their lawyer is. And so then we'll get a call usually within the first three days that someone passes to let us know to go and pull that will out of our storage. Okay. And then we can only release that will if we have the death certificate and we have the ID of the executor. So we can't release it to just anybody in the family. Okay. And so we usually pull it and check who the executor is. Sometimes the wrong person calls and is mistaken in their belief that they're the executor. And then, you know, we as a lawyer have to kind of make sure that it doesn't get released to that person. Okay. Um, now, the just so our listeners know, your death certificate sounds like a bizarre thing, but everyone gets one. You get multiple copies that you'll need to give to different institutions, but you'll get those from the funeral home yeah. during that process. So by the time you get to your, your lawyer, you're gonna have that ready for them. Yeah, 
funeral home is usually involved before me as the lawyer and in fact has to be involved so that I can see an original death certificate. And in my experience, the funeral homes are really helpful with the family in terms of making sure that the immediate stuff is taken care of and anything urgent is taken care of. And most funeral homes are pretty sophisticated in terms of knowing what needs to go to the lawyer and what they can help the clients deal with before the, they have a chance to meet with the lawyer. Uh, so that's often very helpful. But uh, we usually pull a copy of the will and get it out to the family or to the executor. Yep. And then usually there's an appointment booked about a week or two later for them to come in and start talking about the probate process and whether or not probate's necessary and next steps on that. Now, will that be with just the executor or does that happen with executor plus all immediate family? That's usually just the executor. And so in some, it's up to the executor whether, uh, like in many close families where there's no disputes, the executor may receive a copy of the will from us and then arrange a meeting with the family within a week or two to do kind of like a reading of the will. Uh, But it's not required by law that they do that. And so that's personal preference. What is required by law is that everybody who's named as a beneficiary in the will gets a copy of the will as part of the probate process. So we as the lawyer would assist with serving a copy of the will together with the probate application on anybody who's named in the will. So they'll eventually get a copy. Whether or not the executor chooses to go over it with them beforehand is up to the executor. Okay. And then what are what are some accounting items that the executor needs to uh, start finding? So maybe maybe they've met met with the lawyer or they're after that week or two period, the funeral's over. Um, some perhaps proactive things they can start digging up, going through their loved one's uh, filing. Hopefully there's <laughs> a filing system of some sort or a condensed version of what's current. But what are the items they need to start finding and then keeping track of from the accounting side of things. So they're going to want to manage debts first off. So things that like making bill payments, mortgage payments, property taxes, insurance, credit card, things like that. So keeping track of those debts and making sure that those are paid. Um, The lawyer is going to have to take an inventory of their assets. Uh, So if they are in the process of finding the documents, they're going to need to keep track of things like real estate, Um, funds that are in a bank account, life insurance, interest um, in an estate or trust, or any types of investments. Um, If, as I mentioned before, if the the deceased had a business, then they're going to need to manage those business transactions to make sure there's continuity with the business. So making sure that any business debts are paid. Um, They should also, um, well, the lawyer will probably notify any beneficiaries of the interest in the estate. They may want to keep track of things like leases or tenancy agreements, um, paying and collecting rents if that's applicable. Because nowadays, a lot of people have rental properties. Um, they're need they're going to need to keep track of things like memberships, subscriptions, and things okay. like that because those will need to be canceled. Health insurance, driver's license, that type of thing. So any of those documents, all that will need to be kept. So kept track of statement of assets. So. Like, are we talking about, I know you, you kind of gave a list, but are we talking about like the the leather love seat that mom and dad have <laughs> that three of the kids want? Are we talking about like just the home, not necessarily the contents in it? What gets included on that? Like, is it granular or is it pretty basic? Well, your first step as the executor is to secure everything. 
and just make sure everything is secure. So if you have, you know, some beneficiaries or some family members that are a bit grabby, you're going to want to just make sure the house is locked and everything's in there until you get a chance to look at the will and see who's getting what. Now, would you go so far as to like change the locks on the home? That's necessary sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. So most of the time it's not necessary, Uh, but we do, especially as lawyers that deal with litigation, we do see cases where it is necessary. And if the executor hadn't locked up the house, it would be completely cleared out by day three. Um, But most of the time, most families, that's not an issue. Um, But you you may not have the authority to deal with the assets, like for example, selling the house or cashing in certain investments. You may not have the authority to deal with those until the probate process has happened. But you at least need to make sure that you have take an inventory of everything, like taking stock of things saying, okay, what am I dealing with here? I know that the deceased person had a home. It's approximate value. I can see here that they have bank statements from three different banks. So I'm going to go to those banks and ask them what value of accounts is invested here. And then you just need a tally and that tally goes on your probate application. It's an estimate because you will face some institutions saying, I'm not going to tell you until you're appointed as the trustee. Uh, So you're doing your best to figure out what the total value of the estate is, but it's not going to be perfect. Um, And that estimate is the basis upon which we initially assess what the probate tax is going to be. Okay. Now along that line, something pops into my mind that's like very different today. And I think something that we're going to be going through is like social media accounts, that kind of stuff. Does the executor wind up controlling those and like who gets access to that? So like I pass away, who gets my Facebook account or is that something that now is like listed in a will? Or, so how would that work? We're seeing new terms that lawyers, some lawyers are now adding to their wills. And I've certainly done it where we list our, like our digital assets and yeah. we give the executor the right to access digital assets, etc. Um, but most of the social media accounts have a section in the settings whereby you appoint your executor through their social media account. And that's often better and quicker. Um, because whenever you're dealing with a private institution, whether it's a bank or a social media company, it can be difficult sometimes as an executor. More interesting than the social media accounts is the um, like cryptocurrencies. And that is becoming a big issue and yeah, so because you uh, own like a number there's not necessarily an identity there in yes some cases. so putting something in the will about digital assets is great and then making sure that you know what's important to you as the person who's you know got the social media accounts or the cryptocurrencies and that you make special arrangements for those is key okay so how long does it take to work out all the requests in a will and distribute the assets as per the will instructions like the typical ballpark i guess an idea there usually at least a year Uh, if the person died without a will you are required to hold on to the assets for a year before you distribute them so people will be a little bit too quick sometimes before they meet with a lawyer and they're already looking at the will and saying i'm going to give this away and give this away and and they're trying to distribute things. Um, and often people can jump to do it too quickly. So it takes time because you need to advertise for creditors. You need to make sure you get your probate, which can take four months sometimes. Like the courts are on at least a 12 week 
time frame for processing these things right now. Um, once all the debts are paid and you you know for sure that you've gathered in all the assets, uh, that's when you start thinking about distributing. And I'm sure Josie will want to talk about how important it is not to distribute anything until you get your CRA clearance certificate, which takes a very long time. So let's jump there. What is a CRA clearance certificate? So basically it's the a certificate CRA gives you that confirms that an estate has paid the taxes, interest and or penalties that they owe to CRA. It just allows the legal representative to distribute those assets without that risk of personal liability. So without without getting like too detailed here like when you're saying distribute assets like does that mean anything of value like again i go back to the example of the couch or the tv like is it does it include that kind of stuff or there's certain things that the family could give away in the first year or the executor could distribute in the first year that it's like not a bank account not an investment account just happens to be like the stuff that they had Yeah, it's different in every case. Often you're at no risk to distribute certain small gifts without risking uh, an inability to pay taxes or an inability to pay creditors. But if you, the executor, distribute any property, whether it's cash or investments or you sell real estate and you distribute that money and there's not enough left to pay the taxes or there's not enough left to pay the creditors, you're on the hook. So if you have a $2 million estate and somebody gave away their wedding ring and you don't think this person had much in the way of creditors or overdue taxes, you're probably safe to go ahead and give that ring away to its rightful owner fairly quickly after the passing away. Um, But you want to at least hold back something. And Josie may also want to talk about the fact that you can work with your accountant to figure out if it's appropriate to do an interim distribution in an estate which allows you to distribute a portion of the assets and hold back enough to cover you from the risk that there's taxes or creditors. Well, that probably bleeds into this question and maybe, maybe, uh, Josie, you can explain this and then, and then get into that too. The final tax return probably has a lot to do with all of this. So, um, let's explain to listeners, what is the final tax return? It's a a bit self-explanatory in the title. And then how does someone prepare for that? What are the things they have to do? And I think that kind of touches on where we're headed. Okay. So a final tax return is similar to a regular tax return. It's just where the deceased income is reported from January 1st of the year up until the date of death. And then if necessary, following the date of death, if there's still any activity, any types of funds flowing through the estate, then a T3 might be needed to might need be needed to be filed as well, um, or potentially optional returns. And we won't get into the optional returns, but um, the final tax return. Uh, it's important for executors to know the due dates of those. So for an individual, the due date if the individual dies between January 1st and October 31st, those are still due April 30th as per usual. If the deceased passes November 1st to December 31st then they have six months after the date of death to file that final tax return. Now, if the individual is a business owner, the rules are different. So then if they pass between January 1st and October 31st, that's due June 15th of the next year with the balance being owed um, April 30th, which is again, pretty standard. If they pass between November 1st and December 15th, they'll be due June 15th of the following year. And then if it's December 16th to the 31st, you've got six months after the date of death. So 
um, in leading into um, the other response to your question is preparing for that final tax return. That is something that as soon as you've got your documentation ready to go to give to your accountant, it's a good idea to find out, you know, what your expected taxes will be owing. If there's no, um, if you don't expect there to be any funds flowing after the final tax return, then that's pretty much it. You can get that final tax return done, advise the lawyer of what the expected balance will be so they know what to hold back if, if they're ready to close. And then once you've got the notice of assessment from that, then you can go ahead and the accountant can request the clearance certificate. If you have a situation where there's funds flowing in after the date of death and you might have to file the T3, then again, that's where you would need to have the accountant go through the estate and figure out what the expected taxes that will be owing on the trust. And if the trust will continue, because they can continue for about three years, or it can be closed um, prior to that, depending again. So funds flowing in after death, that would be like a couple examples, like you sell the house, is that the kind mm -hmm. of thing? And now you have the cash coming in or... Yeah, it could be if the house is sold after or if there's a business or if there's rental property yep. that continues to flow in after, then um, you'll need that, that trust account to, or the trust return to be filed. And then once that return is filed, then again, then you'll have to request the clearance certificate from CRA. And then at that point, then you work with the lawyer to distribute any final assets. And like Ashley said, like it could take... It could take a while. Some estates, uh, I've had one that we've dealt with recently. We're going on four years now. Wow. Yeah. Well, estates can remain open for 50 years. Like estates can remain open for a very long time, depending on what the will says and what the trust says. Um, and if, especially if there's litigation, like, I mean, I've seen estates that are going on 30 years plus. So the, the first three years, the estate's considered something called a graduated rate estate after that and that's just a tax term um it's probably like a little too intricate to get into it even makes my head spin sure but the idea is you could never know as somebody who's not an accountant or a lawyer what's necessarily required of you in terms of all those different tax returns you could be filing four tax returns within the first year of the person dying like there's there's a lot of requirements that you may need to file. So it's important to make sure you get the right advice to make sure you're doing that. Um, one of the reasons why an estate may be open 20 years is because you may have minors. You're holding the money and you're investing it sure. until they get to a certain age. Yep. Or you have a disabled person and you may have to hold the estate open for the rest of their life to administer their funds. Um, so there can be a lot of reasons why that estate is hanging around for many, many years. And sure. that estate will have to continue to file taxes as if it's like a living human, basically, every Which year. Which is a good plug for why it's good to have all of this stuff updated regularly. So if you need to have an estate open for a long time to look after yeah. like a disabled child, that all of that planning is done because there are there are special types of trusts available to handle that kind of thing and having that prepared ahead of time is a good idea yeah um just to cap off this part really we're we're holding on to all of the money i'm just going to try to put this in like ben davies simple language mm -hmm. we're holding on to all the money because we don't know how much tax we're going to owe yet so number one we're not allowed to give everything away there's got to be a time period before that's allowed and number two even if you did give some away and what you're saying is like an interim payment 
you better be awfully darn sure work with your lawyer especially your accountant to really understand the taxes owing because if you're the executor the government isn't going to be like oh you sold the house and gave the money away darn it we we actually needed taxes from that Uh, they're they're coming to your door and i've actually seen this happen in a couple of cases where an executor kind of gave away too much um and then owed taxes and then tried to get the other beneficiaries who they gave it too much away to to pay some of that back and it's very difficult to get people to write a check back to the estate when you've given away too much money so is that is that fair to say like we're the the government set up guardrails for one but number two we're, we're trying to protect the executor from owing taxes that they didn't see ahead of time right right the l- lawyers are very risk adverse. So your lawyer's answer is gonna be, don't even do an interim distribution. Just hold on to all that money, and, despite the fact that everybody's calling you every day going, when am I getting my inheritance? And yeah. just push them off until you know for certain how much to give them. But if you want to do an interim distribution, check that out with your accountant, cause I'm not gonna tell you to do it. And then the accountant will say, okay, I'm going to, you know, predict all the taxes. We're going to build in a buffer. And then you come back to me, the lawyer, after you've discussed it with your accountant. And you tell me, I've decided with my accountant to do an interim distribution. And then trust your lawyer at that point to drop a special document that your uh, beneficiary is going to sign saying, I want this interim distribution. And I'm taking it on the understanding that if if the executor ever needs to pay something back, I promise to reimburse the portion of it that has to be paid back. So there's those two considerations. The accountant helps you figure out how much to give as an interim. And then the lawyer relies on the accountant's judgment about how much that should be and helps you to draft that interim release. Yeah, I would think that's particularly important when there's a trusting relationship between the executor where they think, well, no, I could give them the money I know them. Yeah. I've known them for years. They're not gonna. They're not gonna Never. let me hang. When it comes to money, like I've just seen. I'm sure the both of you have seen this too. People change a lot when there's money on the line and they think it's theirs. I'm gonna ask you a question that's not on the list, but I, I'm curious about it. What? So a lot of these, a lot of these things we've been talking about in a sense protect the executor, but what if what if you're on the outside? What if you're a beneficiary and you're like, I think the executor is like messing this up. I think they're I think they're paying themselves more than they should. I think they're running away with the money. Um, one, is that even possible? Or and two, is there ways not that we want to encourage people to like really distrust the executor, but are there safeties where people could inquire to make sure things are being distributed right? That's a great question. We've definitely seen situations where an executor was not doing their job properly. Um, I've gone to court to get executors removed, which happens very rarely. But what I often do is I have a beneficiary who's completely in the dark. This estate has been open for four or five years. I've never seen any money. My name is in the will. I don't know what the executor has been doing all this time. So every Uh, beneficiary has the right to see accounts, to see the executor's accounts. And if the executor isn't providing accounts, you simply file an application in court saying, I want a passing of accounts. And then the executor has to bring their accounts to court in a specific format that shows 
what was in the estate on the date of death and every single transaction that's occurred since the date of death. And then between a lawyer and accountant, you can look at it and make sure everything was done correctly. And if something was done that was shady, then you you let the court know and the judge would decide what remedy at that point. So the judge can order that um, the judge can order that the executor be removed. They can order that they pay something back or that their compensation should be reduced by a certain amount. Yep. And so working with your accountant as the executor to make sure that you are keeping the right records in case you're called upon to do that kind of accounting is also important. So you shouldn't be keeping this all on track of on a napkin at home. You should get your <laughs> account involved in that. Right. Um, Josie, I'll ask you this first. What are some common mistakes uh, people should watch out for when they're prepping or uh, acting out the will as an executor? So first, I would say like not following the will or favoring themselves or others. Like we just mentioned, that's sometimes uh, sometimes happens. Um, another one is distributing assets too soon or before the clearance clearance certificate is received. I think that's like the golden standard that an executor wants to wait for that clearance certificate because it just gives them that little bit of peace of mind that CRA is not going to come after them. Yeah. Um, as well as not updating the beneficiary or providing them with detailed accounts. Um, and then the, I think the most important is maintaining adequate book record keeping. If you're not keeping those records, you could end up in a position like Ashley was just talking about where the beneficiary comes to you and or thinks that the trustee is not... or managing things properly if you've got a proper record and you've docu documented every transaction and provided your accountant with everything and they can keep track of it all then you basically covered yourself now if you're an executor who's not particularly financially savvy meaning it's just not your favorite thing so like you you signed up because you you loved your parents and now you're the executor and you're like, I like they they trusted me a lot, but this is not my cup of tea. Can you lean on an accountant a lot more to to help make those granular accounts of everything? Like, is that almost like a bookkeeper in a sense where right. um, obviously it's going to cost you to do that? But is that something that an accountant would do for a client if they just they didn't want to have to stay on top of all the minutia? Yeah, absolutely. Because an accountant can take care of everything. They will be impartial as long as the, as the, um, the, drawing blank here. Uh, as long as the trustee is maintaining all the record keeping to pro and is providing the accountant with everything, then the accountant can manage everything for you and provide you with like, with a list of transactions that they can then provide to the lawyer when yep. it's needed. It probably sounds a lot better coming from a lawyer, right? If you're or from an accountant, if you're getting a fax over or an email from that's actually been professionally prepared, right? As well, I would actually say that as the executor, you as the executor named in a will, you have a decision to make before you take the job. Am I willing to do this job or not? And am I capable of it? Um, the courts have seen it as very inappropriate for you, the executor, to delegate to lawyers and accountants outside of their areas of expertise. So there's there's things that an accountant has to do, like filing taxes, filing for the clearance certificate, assisting you with your preparation uh, of some of those documents, and a lawyer, for example, helping you with probate. 
But when it comes to communicating with beneficiaries, yep. keeping track of receipts, keeping track of accounts, um, you know, notifying banks and stuff, this is all stuff that an executor is supposed to do. So the day-to-day stuff that doesn't actually require the legal expertise or accounting expertise has to be done by the executor. You can't delegate that and expect the estate to pay for it because that chips away at what the beneficiaries get. Oh, I paid $30,000 in legal fees for this estate, so that's coming off all of your guys' checks. Right. Doesn't fly if you've asked the lawyer or the accountant to do things you ought to have been doing. So if you have a large enough estate that your compensation as the executor can be used so that you pay them personally to do that, um, then you can hire them to assist you, but you have to make sure you pay them, not the estate. So I'm very clear with my clients. I'll assist you with the probate and I'll assist you with estate litigation. But if you start to ask me to do things that an executor ought to do, I won't be billing the estate for it. I'll be billing you personally as the executor. Now, the thought there is the executor is going to be personally paid from the estate for compensation for doing that work anyway so if you want to delegate that work away be careful number one because you you need to do some of it Uh, there's some stuff you can't escape but number two that should be your cost for the ease or the extra a prep that you got that you could have done on your own right. and the estate was paying you for. So right. anything you're kind of delegating in some way is on you to pay for. Right. But I would say it's also the biggest mistake I run into is people who try to handle the estate themselves without legal advice or accounting advice. Yep. And then they ended up making some very large mistakes and there are very big mistakes that can be made for example if you start paying money to an overseas beneficiary without getting clearance from the government before that money left the country you're in hot water so people get themselves into very big trouble because they didn't sit down with an accountant they didn't sit down with a lawyer because they wanted to uh save the estate money or keep all of that you know compensation and not delegate anything The estate does pay if it's appropriate legal and accounting advice. So to come to a lawyer and get the assistance with probate and interpretation of the will is an estate fee. It does not come off your compensation. And to get uh, assistance with a clearance certificate and accounting advice before distributions are made is appropriate and it doesn't come off your compensation. And those lawyers and accountants can assist you executor about knowing what you need to do next and making sure that you don't make any big mistakes that are going to cost you personally. But if you get to the point where you say, well, I'm, you know, not particularly interested in writing out advertisements to creditors and sending them off to the newspapers, I'm too busy, you do that, lawyer, then you should be paying for that time because that's something that you're being compensated to do because it's simply like a day-to-day chore of being an executor. Does the executor get paid once everything's done? Do they get paid along the way? Uh, Because I guess the argument would be, well, I don't want to get legal advice because it's coming out of pocket till this whole thing gets wrapped up. Or are they getting paid as they go? Or does that depend? Well, if it's appropriate legal advice, then they can pay for it out of the estate if it's not delegating their job as an executor. Um, So let's say it's delegating their job. If it's delegating their job. So you should wait till the end to take your compensation. Okay. And you should be, and Josie can talk about how it's calculated, but you should be having your accountant help you calculate what you're entitled to. 
uh, once the administration is over, unless the will provides for what's called a pre-taking of compensation. Um, but even if the will provides for a pre-taking of compensation, I would advise being careful on that and working with your accountant to figure out what that pre-taking should look like. So how do you do that, yeah, Josie? We usually take direction from the lawyer in terms of what the appropriate percentage will be, and then we'll calculate it based on the value that's left in the estate for yeah. the executor. So they would get compensated on, I guess what you would say is the net value is like after everyone's paid. Yeah, they get the, about two and a half percent on everything they've taken into the estate, two and a half percent of everything they've paid out. And then usually like two fifths of a percent care and management fee over the course of the year. Okay. So we, the lawyer, can tell them what the rule of thumb percentage is, but you really need the numbers of the estate to figure out what the cash value of that percentage actually works out to. And it is just a rule of thumb. So if the estate is overly simple, the court can reduce that percentage on the basis that it was a very simple estate. If the estate was very complicated, the court could increase the percentage. And so there's a number of things that the court will look at, but usually you will be, um, you'll be using that rule of thumb. If basically people will either have the beneficiaries agree to their compensation or they'll go to court to have the court give their blessing on the compensation. So if you pre-take it, you should probably at least have the beneficiaries consent to do that. Okay. Any other big mistakes people make in this process? I'm sure there's like a thousand. You How long about. do you have? <laughs> <laughs> glaring, yeah. glaring mistakes, I guess. Maybe it's, I should qualify that. Any other really big things to like watch out for? Yeah, I would say you. sometimes you get two type of people that cause the most mistakes. And one is the person that sits back and does nothing for years and years and years and is like, inclined towards not taking any action an executor and that causes all sorts of problems and then you have another group of people that act too quickly and act without obtaining the proper legal or accounting advice and their actions can't be undone and they've made mistakes there so i would say just be like take a deep breath get the right people around you to help you make the right decisions and then actually follow their advice and you should be fine yeah and we see this too, like whenever someone passes away, especially if they, especially if they didn't like have a lawyer they're working with or something like that, that like I would say from my experience on kind of the outside, I, like in finance, in the financial advisor sense, you're almost more like a general contractor in these places where you're trying to, if they don't have it, you're trying to recommend them getting it, but we can't be their lawyer or accountant, but we oftentimes know what's going on but there's this from what i've seen when there aren't professionals in place there's a real hesitant or there's a real sorry um this idea that we got to get them fast and we got to sign up now um and i i think for me that would be one thing is just like slow down like you don't nothing you don't have to be in a hurry this isn't going to be a short process anyway you might as well make sure you have the right professionals on your side that are helping you and you don't have to you don't have to sign an agreement or like guarantee that person just because you went to their office once for an appointment that you're going to use them for everything or anything like that so um, when people do come across uh, when people do get to the point where they are an executor i think it's important that 
they assemble a team that's going to help them, make sure they're comfortable with them, make sure they trust them, and then work in unison as opposed to, um, we were talking about this again before the podcast, this idea of a lawyer might have an idea of what they're doing, the funeral home might have an idea of what they're doing, and the accountant, there's going to be some overlap there too. So having people that are willing to have those discussions on who's doing what ahead of time to help that client out, really important. Um, we've kind of answered this, but uh, maybe just abbreviate quickly, both of you, like the value of having an accountant and a lawyer walk you through all of this. Like, do you two spend time or would you say like a good professional would spend time kind of educating these people through this before they're in it? Um, so how do you how do you add value and help people as kind of their beginning of this journey as executor to walk through this? I think letting them know, like Ashley even mentioned it before, like what are you getting into and making sure that they're aware of next steps, timelines of when things are going to be due, but the actual process of what they expect and that it's not going to be a quick process. I think that's a misconception where executors think that it's a quick job. It could be years or even in some cases, as you mentioned, it could be like 20 years before things are settled. So I think having that conversation with them so they know what they're getting into and prepared. But even before that, I think just in general, I think having the individual who's going to be your executor or who you're going to be managing an estate for, having those conversations with them now while they're still around is really, really important to know what people want. If you're going to be an executor for somebody, get to know their wishes, find out where they've got their will. Hopefully they've given you a copy of it. Know who their lawyer is, know who their accountant is, and just have a really good sense of what their wishes are so that you understand them before it comes time to seeing that piece of paper and making sure that if something is missed in a will that you address it well before the time comes where you have to action that will. Because I find that that is really helpful to have a good understanding of knowing what that person wants because it makes administering that will just so much easier and working with those individuals and having an understanding of who to contact when the time comes and not having to call the law society and say, who has, who has this will? will, right? I think that having that stuff in advance just takes a little bit of stress off at the end of the day too. And there's a reluctance to do that too. You find that especially in people who are getting a bit older, they're retired. They don't want people knowing everything that's going on. So they've asked their executor, but they don't actually, maybe their executor is their child. They don't want them knowing who their lawyer is or like I guess if they have a copy of the will if they're executor they're going to know that but you know what I mean they're not ready to divulge all that yet so would you two both say like get ready to divulge that yet if you're going to ask that person like give them the heads up to say like you're an, our executor but because we trust you we're gonna we're gonna kind of let you in on everything ahead of time so that you're not blindsided by everything we have going on and then we pass away and now 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 you're on and you need to know everything mm -hmm. like what's some what would be some good prep you could do there like when you're talking about that like are you talking Josie about like get them involved and like show them what accounts you have introduce them to the lawyer accountant financial advisor like would you go that far before the person passes or I guess it depends how close you are to the individual in my personal experience my dad passed a few months ago and understanding his wishes 
who he dealt with legally, financially, all those types of things, and yeah. having things in place like a power of attorney for health and a power of attorney for finances and having those things set in place in advance so that when the time came that we had to action these things, it was very easy. Um, and I've dealt with people who don't have these things in place and it's a very difficult process for them to go through the estate, um, through managing the estate when you have to go through all these legalities to actually just contact and talk to someone at the bank. Whereas if you've got something like a power of attorney in place in advance, I was able to just go to the bank and say, hey, listen, these are the accounts. This is what we're going we're yeah. gonna to do. And it was a fairly smooth process. I've had two experiences. Many of my clients have a very like simple estate and it's no secret to their kids what they own and uh, they're splitting everything up equally and everything's, you know, um, what everybody would expect. And they and they usually have that discussion ahead of time and they may want to give out a copy of a will. But many of my clients also, um, some of them have a lot more money than their kids even remotely know about. And they right. don't want their kids to know how much money they have because they think if my kids knew what the size of their inheritance, it might disincentivize them to build their own life. And right. um, it's kind of like a surprise to the kids how much money they're getting and the parents want it that way. Or they've made arrangements uh, that they know won't please everybody, but it's what they want with their estate and they feel pressured to give a copy of the will to their family, which would result in an argument now while they're alive. And I say to them, there's no duty on you to even tell your executor anything about your will or what's in it if you don't want to. So if you're not comfortable doing that, um, I would say, you know, if you have a desk in your house, have a drawer, have a little note, you know, here's my lawyer's card. They have my will and, and my documents and having a great like financial advisor is great. Like go talk to my financial advisor. That person will tell you who my lawyer is. That person has a copy of my will. And by the time they give you that information, I'm going to be gone anyways. Yeah, because so, the one thing I find, I always say, like, you almost need to get a counseling degree in this job because you hear when when people come to you with their money, they're coming to you with their whole life. You yes. hear about the family disputes. You hear about, you know, Susie's been great with money. But if we did leave money to Johnny, like... Yeah. It's going to be paid to him over 10 years because he's just going to blow it in one day yeah. if he was given it, if it was right away. So you do have that insight of, in a lot of ways, I knew emotionally what they were trying to do with their money a lot more than anything else because that's, in a lot of ways, the role we play. So there's a lot of context we can give in yeah. a situation like that. Um, to help them understand what they, at least yeah. what we thought they were thinking at the time, although we can't speak for, cannot speak for uh, someone else. But uh, so the there's one last thing, because uh, Ashley, you've brought this up a couple of times. So we've talked about being prepared and we've talked about how an accountant lawyer can help. And I think uh, from what I hear the two of you saying, a lot of it is the education on the front end um, to help you understand what you're doing. So what if i what if you know i go to josie she gives me the here's what i need speech and then i come to you and you you kind of lay down here's the reality of an executor and i'm like no i don't i don't want to do it but then who's next who determines who's the executor because that would to me that would be one of my fears as well if i say no 
then one of the people say mom and dad wanted to look after this or didn't want to look after this they're going to be looking after this and then i'm kind of betraying what they wanted so mm-hmm. what's the process for i i look at it and i'm just honest and say like you can pay me two or three percent all day long i don't care if this estate's 10 million dollars i'm not touching this with a 10 foot pole <laughs> what happens then yeah there's that's something people should consider more often they should take it very seriously and decide do i want to commit to this or not because it's a really big job and hopefully you have a lawyer and an accountant that are giving you the you know the coles notes of what you're about to go through at the front end so you can know what's required and you can make that decision if you choose not to then if the person passed away with a will there should be Uh, a backup executor and maybe even two or three and it will say right in the will if this person is not able or they're not willing to be my executor then this person should step in okay and so it would go down the line as to who's next in uh in that order if the person passed away without a will then there's kind of like a next of kin structure that the government has set out in terms of who would get the next option to step in as that person if there's nobody willing then uh, there are professional companies that will do it and they will usually do a very good job uh, because it's what they do for a living, like a trust company and some of the banks have trust companies uh, as subsidiaries that will do that. Or the family or the beneficiaries could come together and as long as the beneficiaries, uh, a majority of them signed a consent, they could nominate someone that's not mentioned in the will, so long as the people in the will have renounced. Um, they could take a completely uh, impartial outside person and nominate them together by signing off on it. And uh, often actually a question that I get from my clients is I want to ask my financial advisor to do it. So you may have some comments on that. Yeah, it's a no. Yeah, I actually have. I actually have. I don't know if I'm going to regret this, but I do have a couple of people that I have agreed to be executor for. But it was only on the agreement. You never deal with me as an advisor. So I know I may, and in these cases, I don't even really know their financial advisors. It was just, uh, would you do this? And it's like, it's almost nicer because then, then, you know, like the pressure of working with them as a client's not on, like your role is different. Um, so in our business, unless you're family, there's no reason like you're, you're legally not allowed to be an executor. And the reason is like, we sell insurance it, like if you boil down our job if you took out the like the financial planning aspects which we should be doing but we're we have products we offer and we get paid for those products so imagine a world where i'm the executor of your 10 million dollar estate like maybe i don't want to split the assets up maybe i'd rather throw it in xyz fund and make a commission off it for the next 10 years while i drag my feet so the regulators have stepped in uh, this has been for as long as i can remember and said no like um you can get an exception for your parents or maybe somebody that's really close but it has to be approved by the investment deal you're with but yeah, if you have an advisor that's offering to be your executor, you, you don't want that because now now you're now you're in a position where unbiased opinion, that's not what you're going to get. You're going to get one that might be geared towards a product and it's not even legal. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that boils down to, again, the major mistake people make in this area, whether you're planning your estate and you're trying to do your own will or whether you're an executor and you're trying to guide your 
your own way through the whole process is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You don't know all the regulatory traps and the fact that, you know, you do your own will and you name your financial advisor. They are not accepting that appointment um, because there's all these regulatory things that as a as a regular person, why would you even want to know all of that uh all yeah. of the legalities and stuff. So. This will be the second podcast in a row. I don't know what's going on with me. I where I've said the regulatory landscape in Canada, as much as it like sometimes makes me want to pull my hair out, it really is geared toward looking after the client. Yeah. Canada is all about that in a lot of ways, especially in the financial side of things. So all of those things that we wouldn't we wouldn't think of, well, why shouldn't I have a financial advisor as an executor? The government's kind of thought ahead and said, here's a, a myriad of reasons why not. Yeah. Um, and has kind of gone ahead for you and protected you in a lot of ways right. to make sure because you don't get taken advantage of. Because it's a big, of. big deal to be an executor. And that's, sometimes people take it too informally and they think, well, that's my dad's estate and my siblings are the beneficiaries and they treat it very informally. And I think what people don't understand is, like it's a big job and there's a lot of people that are looking over your shoulder. Like you could have, you know, CRA, but also like the public guardian and trustee, the Ontario children's lawyer, the court, if you have to pass your accounts. So I, I like that, you know, you're underscoring like how seriously you have to take that consideration as to whether to take that job or not. Cause if you do it wrong, you can get in a it's lot a of trouble. Yeah. yeah. And you've got, You've got people who are sitting, I hate to use the term with their hand out, but in a sense, they're waiting, they're waiting to get the inheritance that, right. that their loved ones intended to go to them. So it's not even like it's a, it's a bad thought that they have that, you know, this money's supposed to come to us and we would like it to. So I, I think to recap this whole conversation, number one is when a loved one passes away, take a breath. Yes. <laughs> you don't have to do things right yeah. away. Right. While you're breathing, um, assemble a, a solid team that's going to help give you the right advice and even be willing to have the hard conversation because as an executor too, you could be thinking, wow, this is an easy three, two, three percent of, of mom and dad's estate I'll make on top of whatever I'd be getting. Um, let a lawyer bring you down to reality, talk to an accountant, help them or get them to help you get prepared and um, know from the outset that this is a tough job and make sure you want to be the one doing it because whoever put you in trust of this deserves at least that. Right. They deserve someone who's going to give a care enough to do what they asked. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation. Uh, Ashley, Josie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again and having a conversation probably a lot of people would like to hear um, uh, when they walk through these things. So thank you so much. Thank you for Thanks, having ben. us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to the Clear Money Mindset. We at Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals are here to help you thrive with your finances. You can find us online at daviesfinancial.ca. For help with your personal finances, you can email us at office at daviesfinancial.ca. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Sterling Mutuals Inc. Mutual funds provided through Sterling Mutuals Inc. 
Commissions, trailer commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the simplified prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.